Will you take your Bible and meet me in John chapter 12, please? You know, of course, as you've been with us in our study through the Gospel of John, you, you know now that, that we have entered the final week of our Lord's life in terms of His public ministry here on earth. And so, uh, you know, in, in what was roughly a three-year public ministry, we're now in the final few days, literally. Like, we're just uh, uh, a couple of days away from the cross and John has slowed the pace tremendously as the cross comes more and more in view. And so last week, uh, you know, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he is approached by some Greeks and they just want to they want to see him or or in other words, they want to get with him. They want to talk with him. They want to have a sit down with him and learn more about him. And Jesus be, re responds to that and he begins to. Uh, teach about the cross. If you want to know about me, in a sense, he's saying, if you want to know about me, if you want to know what I'm about, let me tell you about the cross. And so he picks this uh, up, this conversation, this kind of part two. Last week was part one. This is kind of part two, and we're going to pick it up in verse 27 um, and continue through verse 36. And so Jesus says in verse 27, uh, he's saying to the Greeks and to the crowds that were uh, uh, surrounding him, and now even to us, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is the Word of God. Father, we want to thank you again this morning for, really for the, for the opportunity we have to come together as a congregation of people, your people, not only to sing about your great, your great person, your great character, to sing about you, but also to sing about what you're doing in the world, in our lives, and then even to publicly testify 
and give thanks to your work in our lives and in our world. And we thank you this morning for the opportunity you've given us once again to come together before your word. And we need so much. We need, we, we need your help in understanding your word. We, we want to hear your voice. We want to see your son. So would you give us eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Would you give us ears to hear his message and its meaning to our lives? I would pray for each person here, not, not only for us collectively, but for each individual person. Thank you that you know us, each one of us, inside out. You know all the circumstances of our lives. You know all the joys and sorrows. You understand them all, and you are working in ways that we don't always understand. So I would pray that you would minister to each one for their good, for their eternal good, and for your glory through Christ. Amen. I do want to begin this morning thinking about the glory of God. We talk a lot about God in the church and a lot about His glory. But how often do we pause just to think on it? To think on God's glory. And when we do, when we pause to think about the glory of God, what do we think about? What comes to mind? I think some think of creation and God's glorious creativity. I mean, how wide is the variety of plants and flowers and trees and vegetation, for example? Or the many, many, many creatures of land and sea and sky. How, how fine uh, uh, are the intricacies in which each is woven and by which each functions? There's the glory, I think, there's the glory of like a driving rain or a clap of thunder or standing before an endless ocean or an autumn sunset or a star-speckled night sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. Indeed, we're told the whole earth is full of His glory. 
Instinctively, we are drawn to glory, awestruck by glory. Things that are glorious seize us and they stop us in our tracks. They take our breath away and they cause us to ponder the higher things in life, the greater things, the the things that stir our very souls. Because we are gloriously made by God, we are created for the glory of God. And the glory of God is most evident, most evident in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Christ, we behold God's glory on full display. He is the radiance of the glory of God, we're told in Hebrews chapter 1. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. The glory of God is evidenced in the glory of Christ, and perhaps nowhere is the glory of Christ more obvious than in the cross. How unlikely to find such wonder in such a place as that. Yet Calvary beams with glory. Jesus himself considered the cross to be the hour of his glorification, as we saw last week. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He was speaking of himself and his death and the many people who would live because of it, this glorious harvest of redeemed men and women. Well, that thought continues in our passage today. It is a Christ-centered passage, a cross-centered passage, a passage radiant with God's glory on the cross. We behold the glory of God in that Jesus suffered for us so that we would be saved to him. And so let's take it in three parts. Let's consider the anguish of Christ, the attraction to Christ, and the appeal by Christ. First, The anguish of Christ. Jesus says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled. Troubled here means stirred, agitated, emotionally distressed. Basically, my soul is anguished and agonizing. How amazing. Think about this. How amazing is the incarnation to think that the eternal Christ, the pre-existent Son of God, would condescend to a troubled soul. His joy was celestial and supernatural and infinite and everlasting. He was in the beginning with God and is God, yet has come from heaven to earth to identify with humanity in every way except one. He was without sin. And this makes his suffering, his troubled soul, 
that much more impactful and heart-wrenching because it did not owe in any way to any wrong on his part. It owed only to the wrong on ours. Seven hundred years, roughly, some seven hundred years before his birth, the prophet Isaiah said about him, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Beloved, our Savior is not above our sufferings. In fact, He bore the full weight of the cause of all suffering, sin, including our sin. He suffered to the fullest. He suffered unto death. Christ was crucified in the likeness of sinful flesh. He who knew no sin became sin, and He bore our sins on the cross. On the cross, sin's curse its deadly curse was, was ascribed to him. He was counted among sinners. He died a sinner's death to secure life for those who have sinned and deserve death. He suffered for us. He was, his soul, his soul, his soul was troubled for you. His soul was troubled for you. You've known a troubled soul, certainly. You know what it's like to be anguished and agonizing. Maybe you've even felt the despair of death itself, but listen, whatever your trouble has been or may be, thank God there is a trouble you will never know. You will never know the trouble of dying for sin. Dying in sin, so long as you cast yourself upon the one who was troubled and died for you. If you are suffering today, if you are sorrowful today, if for whatever reason you are in the doldrums today, come to Christ and receive a love that is more than enough to satisfy your aching soul. Jesus understands a troubled soul. Believe me, we only need to look to the cross to see that. And he endured it for, for your good and for God's glory. Jesus did not draw upon divine power to avoid the emotional or physical horror of the cross, even the mere prospect of the cross. For he knew this was the very purpose for which he came. And as great as the trouble Christ was experiencing in that moment and in all those moments pertaining to the cross, His desire to glorify God was greater still. Father, He resolves, glorify Your name. I want you to see, it's not, it's not Father, glorify My name. Though certainly, if anyone could say that, he could have said that. 
No, his concern, his main concern was for the Father and for us. Not himself. What if we approach suffering like that? Whatever my suffering, whatever it looks like, what if I... What if I am willing to accept it and go through it as part of what God is doing in my life and in the lives of those around me? What if God is working toward our holiness even more than our happiness? And yet, in becoming more holy, in becoming more transformed into His image, We find the happiness our soul so desperately craves. How willing are we to to share in Christ's sufferings and say with him, Father, glorify your name. To which the Father said, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. And he said this notice, not for Christ's sake, but for the sake of those nearby. God's promise to glorify his name was for them. It was for them. The voice from heaven was God's grace for them. And some understood it like John. Others didn't. They thought thought it was thunder or, or an angel. They missed the point. They missed the point of what God was saying. They missed the point of what Jesus was doing. And if nothing else, let this be a reminder for us to listen for the voice of God and look for His glory in Christ. You realize each Sunday morning, you do realize this, each Sunday morning, we gather here in the Word of God to listen to the voice of God because God still speaks and He testifies to His Son. And some of us, maybe, maybe, we just miss the significance, the blessing the joy of what God is doing right now. There is a voice from heaven that is speaking. And it's for you. Don't miss what God's saying to you. Don't miss what God is saying to you. Don't miss what Jesus is doing for you right now, today, this morning, in these few moments we share together. 
God glorified His name in the birth of His Son, in the life of His Son, and in the death of His Son. He glorified His name in the resurrection of His Son, and in the ascension of His Son, and in the exaltation of His Son. And He glorifies His name in the saving work of His Son that continues even today. God is certain to glorify His name. And catch this. This is the very best thing for us. The very best thing for those around us, the very best thing this world can hope for, His glory, you see, is for our good. Just as we discover in verses 31 through 33. If I had to choose just one verse in this passage that summarizes the whole passage, this this was my thought earlier this week, is as I read through and just thought upon this passage, Lord, what is the one truth that you are bringing to us through this passage? Certainly there are many truths, but what is the one truth that all those other truths point to and support? If I had to choose just one verse in this passage that summarizes the whole passage, it's verse 32. Where Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Had we only this verse, we might assume he's referring to his resurrection or maybe his ascension. But the surrounding verses tell us exactly what he means. Verse 31 speaks of judgment, the judgment of this world and the ruler of this world. Verse 33 speaks of death, what kind of death he was going to die. And so as we take these together, these verses obviously emphasize Once again, they emphasize the cross. And so we have here the cross defines the judgment of this world. The cross delivers the defeat of Satan. And the cross demonstrates the grace and love of God. Now is the judgment of this world. You see, the cross isn't just about Jesus being judged by the world. Yes, he was wrongly arrested. He was falsely accused. He was conspired against. He was handed over and sentenced to die by those in the world. But the cross is not about the world bringing judgment upon Christ. It's about Christ bringing judgment to the world. How so? How does the cross of Christ judge the world in this way, I think? People live as if there is no consequence to their behavior. No fallout from their wrongdoing. We live as if sin and disobedience to God is no big deal doing what we want, when we want, without any repercussions, but the cross goes against that entirely. The cross says that God is holy, that God is righteous, 
that God is just and the judge of the whole earth. The cross says that this is what sin does and deserves. Sin brings death and sin deserves death. This is what happened. This is what the cross is saying. You look to Jesus. You see him on that cross. And I want you to put together, that's what sin does. This is what happens, God is saying. This is what happens when we choose sin over God. This is the natural consequence of our rebellion. The cross reminds us that sin is serious a serious offense, and that no sin will go unpunished. The cross says that judgment has come. Judgment is about justice, about God's just response towards sin. It's about, it's about God's wrath. You see, Jesus didn't die by the hands of sinful men only. He did die by the hands of sinful men, but not them only. For it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The world was found guilty. And Jesus was made the guilt offering. On the cross, he was offered up by God himself for the sins of the world. Judgment had come. Verse 31 continues. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? Talking about Satan, the devil. And so the cross not only defines the judgment of of the world, but delivers the defeat of Satan. Christ's death on the cross defeated him who has the power of death. That is the devil himself. The cross was Satan's attempt. The cross was Satan's attempt to destroy Christ. And yet it was through the cross that Christ destroyed Satan. Jesus used the very intentions of the devil to destroy the devil. I love how Jonathan Edwards put it. He said the cross was the devil's own weapon, and with this weapon he was overthrown, just as David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. It's important to remember when we encounter evil today, even now we're told we wrestle against the devil and his demonic forces and the devil himself prowls around looking for someone to devour. The activity of the devil continues in this world, yes, but the decisive victory is already won. Colossians 2 verse 15 says that God has disarmed the demonic rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ on the cross. And so Christ's triumph in his death and in his resurrection is the basis for his final triumph at the consummation. 
of all things. We dare not treat the devil lightly, but loved ones, we, we certainly need not fear him. For a mighty fortress is our God, as Luther said so well. Remember that verse, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, we will not fear, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us, the prince of darkness grim, but we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Jesus Christ is victor. Christus victor. And we can share in his victory now and forevermore. And therefore the, the cross demonstrates the grace and love of God toward us. It defines the judgment of the world, it delivers the defeat of Satan, and it demonstrates the grace and love of God. Verse 32 again, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This lifting up language is not new to John's gospel. You may remember near the beginning of his public ministry with Nicodemus, Jesus said as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then near the middle of his ministry, he said to the Jewish authorities, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the Messiah. And now near the end of his ministry, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So throughout his ministry, from beginning to middle to the end, Jesus had the cross in mind. And for Jesus, his death was not a going down notice, but a lifting up. The hour of his glorification, as we've already seen, on, the, uh, on one hand, the cross is shameful. It's agonizing. It is the lowest possible point of humiliation. But on the other, it is glory beyond measure, not loss, but gain, not defeat, but victory, and not just a small victory, but an eternal triumph by which he is exalted above all and before all, a great and glorious triumph by which he will draw all to himself. And all people here does not mean all without exception. It doesn't mean that. It's not that every person who has ever lived or ever will live is drawn to Christ, obviously. So it's not all without exception, but all without distinction. All kinds of people. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, boys, girls, rich, poor, religious, non-religious, moral, immoral. Any and all who look to Christ for salvation from sin 
will in, fi in fact find themselves being drawn by him. Do you remember when you were drawn? Do you remember when you were drawn? Please remember when you were drawn. I remember sitting on my next door neighbor's living room floor while my parents and others in the room were reading the Gospel of Mark. We weren't a church-going family. And I was totally unfamiliar with the Bible. But I followed along. And I remember that God did something in those moments that I never, never, never expected. That in those moments, God revealed himself to me as we were reading about his son. I remember that it was so striking that it was as if God was speaking to me and to me alone as if I was the only person in the room, as if the Bible was written just for me. I remember it. And then I remember how we began to attend the local church and how I began learning more about Jesus. I remember coming home from church. I'm going to say this is a few months later. Coming home from church one Sunday after my pastor preached on the cross and what it meant for me. And I remember distinctly, distinctly, I remember going into my room and kneeling beside my bed and saying something like, I do not remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, God, if what Pastor Kent said is true, I want to know you. I need to know you. God, thank you for the gift of Christ. Again, we, he had just preached the cross. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for the death of Christ. Thank you for new life in Christ. God, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I remember. I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made right. I want, to, I want to live this life that you've designed for me, that you've set before me. And so here I am. I 
I'm yours. And with that, I was saved. I was born again. I was drawn by Christ. I was drawn by Christ to Christ. Whenever someone is saved, whenever someone is saved, it is always God's initiative in Christ through His Spirit. It is the drawing power of Christ crucified. Jesus Christ seeks and He saves the lost. It's not the other way around. I wasn't looking for Jesus, but He came looking for me. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. Listen, this is how God's glory works for our good. And if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, then know that he came looking for you. He didn't just stumble upon you. He didn't just haphazardly run into you. No, no, no. He was on a mission. He was on a quest. He came searching for you and he found you. And he drew you. Not because he was obligated. Not because you impressed him. Oh, Lord, look at my good deeds. No, no, no. Not because you finally earned his favor. No, simply and solely, simply and solely because he chose to. Because he loves to save. Because he loves to save. And because he loves you. You know, Sally and I were talking this last week and just talking about the nature of love. And she just made a great point that sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we love out of duty. We love, but we don't necessarily like. That's not how God loves. God doesn't love you out of duty. He likes you. He wants to be with you. He wants to share relationship with you. He wants to save you. He wants to sanctify you. And I want you to notice that we're drawn to a person, to Christ himself, not to a religion, not to an ideology, not to a particular worldview. We are drawn by Christ to Christ. And so I just have to ask, if you're not a believer today, or, or if you're not a believer today, it's, it's, I can only assume it's because you have not understood the meaning of the cross
Because the cross demonstrates the grace and love of God. God's love in that Jesus was given for me. He suffered for me. God's grace in that he came after me. He sought and he saved me. Even when I had no inkling, I was totally ignorant of his glory. God wanted and welcomed me into his family, his eternal family. He, he adopted and accepted me as his beloved son. And, he, and all he asks, all he asks of me, all he asks of you is to place your trust in him. And so we've seen Christ's anguish and Christ's attractive power and now notice Christ's appeal it's in verses 34 and 36. And there Jesus calls for faith. The crowd was confused by the notion of a suffering Messiah. They expected, they expected the Christ to come in earthly power, to establish an earthly kingdom, reign on earth forever. And so when Jesus alludes to his death, they're just confused. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up, they ask. Who are you speaking of, really? Who is this Son of Man? And that's really the question, right? That's the question facing each one of us. Who is this Son of Man? Who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus? And his answer is straightforward. He is the light. Not merely a light, but the light, the light of the world, the source and substance of all light, light from God, and life from God. And so he says in verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Some of you this morning... Some of you this morning are walking in darkness and you have no idea where you're going. You have lost your way and you are on the path that leads to certain destruction. And so he says in verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He's getting to the heart of faith. I think maybe essentially he's saying, will you trust? Will you trust in your limited understanding? Oh, I understand this, this one piece. There's a thousand piece puzzle, but I see this one piece. Will you trust in your limited understanding, your misunderstanding? Will you trust in your perceived ability and self-reliance, or will you trust in Christ? There's urgency here. Christ remains forever, but the offer to believe and walk in his light does not. I just feel i got to say that again. Christ remains forever, but the offer to believe and walk in his light does not. So while you have the light, walk in it. 
walk in the light you've been given thus far, even this morning, believe in the light. And just notice that to walk is to believe, and to believe is to walk. He was troubled for you. Is that not enough? He suffered and died for you. Is that not enough? He is the light of life. He gives new life, new and everlasting life with God. Is that not enough? He's loving. He's gracious. He's the embodiment of the glory of God. And so as God has been working in your heart, as He has shown the light of Christ upon you, if you have sensed the beginnings of His pole, then respond to the light while it still shines. and become a child of light. The cross of Christ beams with the glory of God and that Christ suffered for us that we might be saved to Him. Amen. us, Lord, in our response help us in our response that we may see him who is the light and walk and believe in the light and live as children of light. And we will give you praise today and forevermore.